October 11th. And now as we begin to look into the New Testament, our reading today will be from the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, verse 1. We'll go through chapter 5, verse 3. More and more should be the desire of the dedicated Christian. Here in the fourth chapter, we'll read about more holiness. Your body belongs to God, and His will is that you use it for holy purposes. Christ purchased your body, and the Father has called you to holy living. Disobey, and the penalties are great. We'll read about more love. You're taught to love by the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit. Love is the one outstanding and true mark of the true believer. Love. Our God is love. We'll read about more quietness. Now, because they expected the Lord to return any day, some believers had quit their jobs and become idlers and meddlers. Now, what kind of testimony would this be to the lost? And we'll read about more hope. Christians sorrow because God made us to weep. But it is not the hopeless sorrow of the world. See, Jesus is coming again. And that means reunion and eternal rejoicing. All right, let's begin our reading now in the New Testament. October 11th, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1, through chapter 5, verse 3. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we, Paul and his co-workers, urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God as we have taught you. You are doing this already, and we encourage you to do so more and more. For you remember what we taught you in the name of the Lord Jesus. God wants you to be holy, so you should keep clear of all sexual sin. Then each of you will control your body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion as the pagans do in their ignorance of God and His ways. Never cheat a Christian brother in this matter by taking his wife, for the Lord avenges all such sins, as we have solemnly warned you before. God has called us to be holy, not to live impure lives. Anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human rules, but is rejecting God, who gives His Holy Spirit to you. But I don't need to write to you about the Christian love that should be shown among God's people. For God Himself has taught you to love one another. Indeed, your love is already strong toward all the Christians in all of Macedonia. Even so, dear brothers and sisters, we beg you to love them more and more. This should be your ambition, to live a quiet life, minding your own business, and working with your hands, just as we commanded you before. As a result, people who are not Christians will respect the way you live, and you will not need to depend on others to meet your financial needs. And now, brothers and sisters, I want you to know what will happen to the Christians who have died, so you will not be full of sorrow like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus comes, God will bring back with Jesus all the Christians who have died. I can tell you this directly from the Lord. We, who are still living when the Lord returns, will not rise to meet Him ahead of those who are in their graves. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven 
with a commanding shout, with the call of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, all the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and remain with Him forever. So comfort and encourage each other with these words. I really don't need to write to you about how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, for you know quite well that the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. When people are saying, All is well, everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall upon them as suddenly as a woman's birth pains begin when her child is about to be born, and there will be no escape. And the silence of heaven testifies to the sinfulness of man. No one is worthy. John is weeping. He gets a glimpse of the state of man before God apart from Christ, and he has no hope. See man's need for Christ. See man's misery without Christ. Here and all over Scripture, apart from Christ, man is cut off from God. Colossians 1.21 Under the condemnation of God. Romans 5.12 Apart from Christ, man is enslaved to sin and in the snare of the devil. John 8.34 2 Timothy 2.26 Apart from Christ, man is the object of God's wrath. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 3 Destined to die forever in hell. A place of fiery agony. Mark chapter 9 Conscience torment, Luke chapter 16, and continual destruction, 2 Thessalonians 1, where the smoke of sinner's torment goes up forever and ever, and there is no rest day and night, Revelation 14. Thomas Watson said, thus it is in hell, they would die, but they cannot. The wicked shall be always dying, but never dead. The smoke of the furnace ascends forever and ever. Oh, who can endure thus to be ever upon the rack? This word ever breaks the heart. George Whitfield used to speak with tears of the torment of burning like a livid coal, not for an instant or for a day, but for millions and millions of ages, at the end of which people will realize that they are no closer to the end than when they first begun, and they will never ever be delivered from that place. see why John is weeping loudly in Revelation 5. This is no casual matter. We say things like, we had a hell of a time, or you played a hell of a game, or that was a hell of a song. And the way we talk about hell shows that we have no idea what we are talking about. There is real, eternal wrath awaiting sinners before a holy God. And John knows this. And he's audibly wailing at the prospect of the future before God apart from Christ. Now we know what's about to happen in this text, but before we move on, just pause for a moment and contemplate the state of the unreached in the world. People who exist before God apart from Christ. They've never even heard of Him. Now they have heard of God, more precisely they have seen God, Romans 1, 18. 
what, what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Every unreached person in the world has knowledge of God, whether it's the man in the African jungle, the woman in the Asian village, the tribe in the Amazon rainforest, or the nomad in the remote desert. Even if they haven't heard the gospel, they have seen God. They've seen Him, have knowledge of Him, and they have rejected Him. Although they knew God, verse 21, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. For their thinking became futile, their foolish hearts darkened. They claimed to be wise, but they've become fools, exchanging the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men and birds and animals and reptiles. They have rejected God. People ask me, what about the innocent guy in Africa who's never heard the gospel? What happens to him when he dies? And the answer to that is easy. He goes to heaven. Without question. The only problem is he does not exist. There is no innocent guy in Africa. If there was, he would not need the gospel because he's innocent. He'd go to heaven because he has no sin. The problem is there are no innocent unreached people in the world. Every unreached person in the world stands guilty before God. That's why they need Christ. So put this together and realize what this means, pastors. Follow this. tremble at the thought of this. There are over two billion people in the world at this moment whose knowledge of God is only sufficient to damn them to hell. Forever. They know He exists. They've rejected Him. They deserve His wrath. And that's where the story ends for them. They've never heard that there is a Redeemer. They exist before God, apart from Christ, and they are utterly hopeless in that state. But there's hope. There's hope. Theological truth number three. The greatest news in all the world is that the slaughtered Lamb of God reigns as the sovereign Lord of all. The greatest news in all the world is that the slaughtered Lamb of God reigns as the Sovereign Lord of all. Psalm 81, verses 1 through 16. We'll read about the things that were. Now this section is an invitation for the people to participate in a joyful celebration, probably Passover. Asaph gave them two reasons for sharing. Obedience, it was God's ordinance, and gratitude, all God had done for them. It's good to set aside special times to meditate on the work of the Lord in your life. And we'll read about the things that are. In spite of all that God did for His people, they would not listen to His word or do His will. One of God's most painful judgments is to permit you to have your own way. Had they obeyed, they would have experienced victory instead of defeat, fullness instead of emptiness, and the best instead of the worst. They could have looked back with rejoicing, but instead they had to remember with regret. 
See the things that might have been will be if today you let the master have his way. Psalm 81 verses 1 through 16. For the choir director, a psalm of Asaph, to be accompanied by a stringed instrument. Sing praises to God, our strength. Sing to the God of Israel. Sing, beat the tambourine. Play the sweet lyre and the harp. Sound the trumpet for a sacred feast when the moon is new, when the moon is full. For this is required by the laws of Israel. It is a law of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree for Israel when he attacked Egypt to set us free. I heard an unknown voice that said, Now I will relieve your shoulder of its burden. I will free your hands from their heavy tasks. You cried to me in trouble, and I saved you. I answered out of the thunder cloud. I tested your faith at Meribah when you complained that there was no water. Listen to me, O my people, while I give you stern warnings. O Israel, if you would only listen, you must never have a foreign god. You must not bow down before a false god. For it was I, the Lord your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it with good things. But no, my people wouldn't listen. Israel did not want me around. So I let them follow their blind and stubborn way, living according to their own desires. But oh, that my people would listen to me. Oh, that Israel would follow me walking in my paths. How quickly I would then subdue their enemies. How soon my hands would be upon their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe before him. Their desolation would last forever. But I would feed you with the best of foods. I would satisfy you with wild honey from the rock. Proverbs 25, verses 6 through 8. Don't demand an audience with the king or push for a place among the great. It is better to wait for an invitation than to be sent to the end of the line, publicly disgraced. Just because you see something, don't be in a hurry to go to court. You might go down before your neighbors in shameful defeat.